I promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Our preaching text for this Sunday comes from Romans chapter 8, beginning at the 12th verse. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. This is the word of the Lord. And let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So about a week or so ago, I was at the new Albertsons. For those who are visiting, that's the one this way, not the one that way. Okay? There's two. two. We were so lucky. We have two. We're that awesome. But I was at the new Albertsons, and I I go in the side where the, the flowers are, and there was a guy in the florist section getting help from a young woman. Uh, needing to buy flowers for his wife or, or, or girlfriend or whoever. And from what I could deduce from the conversation, they had had a fight. Anybody ever been there? Maybe, gentlemen? Yeah. Uh, they, they had had a fight, and, and he wanted to get flowers to try and, and smooth, smooth things over. So um, this is how my brain works. I'm, I'm walking through the store doing my shopping, right? And I'm trying, I'm hypothesizing in my head, what did he do? Anybody do that before? Yeah. What, what did he do wrong? Because I'm probably going to bet that their fight was not about him not getting her flowers often. Right? So I'm betting probably buying her flowers was not going to fix whatever it was. Like maybe he had left his underwear in the middle of the bedroom for one last time and she just couldn't handle it anymore. I'm guessing probably picking up the underwear would have been a better thing to do than buy flowers. But I might be wrong. I, I've only been married for almost 25 years, and she still loves me, I guess. Um, but, you know, or you could take it even worse. Maybe he had an affair, which I'm telling you right now, flowers definitely are not going to fix the problem. Uh, maybe he's abusive. Maybe he forgot her birthday. Maybe he can't keep a job. Maybe he's an alcoholic. Uh, maybe... Uh, I don't know. We could, we could go on and on. Maybe he said something like all of us have done in anger at a particular time. And now he's trying to smooth things over just, just a little bit. But the point being, though, flowers were not going to fix the problem, were they? It's almost as though trying to buy her off, right? 
That is us in all our, our, our little fleshiness, in all our work as, as fleshy human sinner beings. We think we know more than we do. We assume we know one another's hearts. We assume we know one another's pains. We assume we know the remedy to fix those things and to make everything, everything better. We, we think we can fix almost everything. And even then, we can't take the hint that maybe we are just not as powerful as we think we are. What's worse is we assume that somehow we are to spend our lives uh, doing that for God, to appease him, to make him happy with us. Because we got to make sure that God stays happy or he might send his wrath upon us. Well, Paul uses Romans chapter 8 to steal those thoughts from you to transform the relationship that you think you have with God, uh, of this God that needs to be appeased, this God that needs to be kept happy, this God that you need to have uh, uh, be pleased with you because of something that you do for them, something that you, that you do to fix something with him. Uh, Paul writes chapter 8 to try and fix that. Last week, Pastor Chris left us with the war of the two yous inside you. The old you and the new you. The old Adam, as we call it, and the new Adam. Uh, the, 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 the sinner you uh, causes so much havoc in your life as you make stupid decisions and you hurt yourself or others and you turn away from God. And then there's the saint you, the, the, the new you, the one bought by Jesus' blood you, the, the one that's been washed and reborn by the word you, that wants to fight against that, that sinner you that wants to have control. And, spe- and Paul speaks honestly to our reality in this, right? We, we heard it last week that, that the things we wish we could do, we do not do, and the things we don't want to do, we do. That's how he talks about it in Romans 7. And I know that everyone has been there. For instance, the doctor comes to you and says, lay off the sweets and get more exercise. What do we usually say? Maybe tomorrow. But the problem is then tomorrow comes, we say, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. And then January 1st comes, and what do we all do? We all join the gym, we show up for a week, and then we don't go back, right? Or uh, maybe we know that we need to stop drinking. But we can't until someone comes to us and says, uh, you have a problem. Or, or maybe we know that we're supposed to not be going to certain particular websites anymore, but we do. Or we know that we should let that most recent piece of juicy gossip die with us. But we hit that little green button on our phones to send it out into the ether to everybody. And so what does Paul say? You remember this? Oh, wretched man that I am, who can free me from this body of death? Remember that? And what's Paul's answer from last week in Romans 7.25? He says, Thanks be to God through somebody. Jesus Christ. Thank you. Sunday school answer here at Grace. Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. Well, let me take you quickly through the first 11 verses of chapter 8 because thanks to the lectionary, we don't get that as part of our our readings, but it's here in chapter 8 that Paul builds on that thanks be to God. He wants to elaborate on what he means by that rescue that comes for the wretchedness this, 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 this horribleness in us, the sinner you in us. What is the, what is the rescue that comes to fix things? Well, the first word in the Greek in Romans 8 is the word for nothing. Nada. 
To be more accurate, not one ounce, not one gram. There's, there's no room for, well, maybe just a little tiny smidgen of something of me. No, it says nothing. What does it say? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In other words, because of Jesus Christ and the salvation and redemption brought to you in him to kill your old Adam, to kill the old you and raise you to new life in him. Because of this, there is not one ounce of condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Not one ounce. There's no little tiny bit there to condemn you. And because there is no condemnation, there's no demand placed on you to meet a certain expectation of amends and debts because Jesus has taken care of everything. Because of that, we have to rely upon our trusting that he is enough. That sin is what has been condemned for us in Jesus, Paul says, because of our flesh. Our sinful bodies cannot fix the problem of a lifetime of rejecting God, trying to be our own God, no buying flowers for Jesus. What has happened in Jesus Christ for you has been God reconciling our relationship with him so that all our worries of chapter 7, all the things that we wish we could do that we can't, trying to appease him, make him pleased with us, keep him happy as though God is a toddler who didn't get a nap. Our fears of failing him, all those things have been wiped out in Jesus. That what he speaks to us from the cross and the empty tomb is that I am pleased with you already, he says. Stop trying to buy me off or think you need to earn it. I was thinking about this text on the way here this morning, and I thought of two scenes in two different movies, and you need to bear with me here, please, because I'm not equating God to either, well, maybe. Um, but but any, uh, any Harry Potter fans in the room? Yeah? Okay. I asked about you know, Taylor Swift, Swift fans yesterday at the wedding, and only like one girl put her hand up. All you closet Swifties, I know you're out there. Um, but Goblet of Fire, Voldemort, the one who is not to be named, finally shows up. We've been waiting for so long. Uh, and he shows up, and he's angry at all his followers. He's the bad guy, by the way. He looks like a snake, all that stuff. Um, he's angry at all his followers because they abandoned him. They didn't believe that he was going to come back. And, and he comes back, and Wormtail, uh, this really wretched dude, he's, he at least speaks up and says, no, I stayed, Master. I stayed. And Voldemort looks at him and says, no, you stayed out of fear not out of loyalty. I wonder how many of us look at God as a Voldemort-type person, that we need to do certain things in our life because we're afraid that we might piss him off, that he might send his lightning bolt like Thor down upon us. And so we, we serve him out of fear. Oh, I better do this or else something is going to happen to me. Or I better do this or St. Peter might not let me in. I'm betting there's some of you in this room that have felt that in your life, and maybe those still sit there and haunt you. The the other picture that I have, and I've used this in sermons a billion times, and I always will, so this might be the first time I've preached it in Ridgecrest. Just wait in a couple years, I'll use it again. 
at the end of the movie Saving Private Ryan, which this is like a 30-year-old movie, so if you haven't seen it yet, spoilers, I'm sorry, you should have seen it by now. Um, but you know, Private Ryan is this dude that, that all his brothers have been killed in, in the war except for him, and they send a special squad to go and get him and, and bring him home safely to his mom so that he won't die. And at the end of the movie, after basically everyone but like two people in the squad have been killed, and the captain that led the squad is about to die. He looks at, at, at Private Ryan and says, earn this. And then we get to, the, we get to the, the, the postlude of the movie, and there is elderly Private Ryan in, in a cemetery at Normandy, and he's found the, 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 the marker stone for this captain, and he's bawling, and he turns to his wife and he says, tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I've lived a good life. Many of you in this room think that's how Jesus works. That Jesus goes to the cross, sheds his blood, dies, goes into the tomb, empties the tomb, and then comes to you and says, earn this. You better do something in your life to, to make this worth it. That, that somehow my blood shed for you needs to be bought off in, in, in some way. And so I, I hate that scene in that movie because now... Private Ryan has done what with his life? Spent his entire life trying to make sure that he's worth it. But what does Jesus come and say to all of us? You're worth it. I'm pleased with you. And you do not have to earn any of this. Paul eventually expands on, on this two-you discussion, the, the, the old you and the new you, and he, and he talks about the, the fleshy us, the, the, the fleshy person, the person who lives by fleshy things, and the, the, the spiritual person, the, the, the spirit walker is how the Greek talks about it. The fleshy person is called hostile to God, he says, because uh, he will do everything on his own. He doesn't need God nor want him. He wants the credit and the praise. He won't subject himself to anyone. And in fact, he's unable to because his flesh wants to be free and to be God. That the fleshy person wants to hold on to their past and not die. They want to keep everything of their old life and just maybe sprinkle a little bit of, of Jesus like Parmesan cheese over our spaghetti. Uh, and there with, with a dash of spirit mixed in maybe. But the problem is that when God's Spirit comes upon you and it does it on its own, you don't say, oh, yes, please come upon me. I was reading Samson's life today in my morning readings, and it kept saying the Spirit of God came upon him, happened to him, clothed him. That is the Spirit of God coming upon you. It says it makes a home in you, that it dwells in you and takes over the decorating. That is why we have this war. We, we don't want to change, and we certainly uh, don't want to become powerless, but that is the work of the Spirit. That's possibly why some of us only come to church every now and then, because we're worried that the Spirit might actually come to us and change us. Because we really like our old us. We really like that. But here the Spirit comes to you to make a new you out of the old you to take you from being that fleshy person to being that spirit walker. These spirit walkers are ones who've thrown aside every attempt to make God love them. They've been brought low and humiliated, humbled by their sin, but even more by the fact that God himself, the one offended, has not asked for flowers or a card or even an apology text. Instead, he has done all the work in Jesus. He has given 
them Jesus for nothing. He has poured out his spirit upon them to enliven them, killing the old man and raising up the new man. And the spirit walkers walk by the spirit because they know and admit that the flesh will fail. They can do all sorts of good works, but one day they will die. That's verses 1 through 11. Now we get to our actual readings. You're welcome. Now you can start your stopwatches. Paul, in in verses 12 through 18, he comes, he says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not under obligation to the flesh, is the better Greek translation. Not not debtors, but under obligation to the flesh to live according to all our fleshy things, he says. We are not debtors that we must fulfill a quota in our fleshiness to appease God or keep ourselves in his grace. Because if we keep on trying to live in that way, according to our sinfulness, our weakness, our old Adam, Paul says we are going to die. Our death will be the end of us. But he tells us in verse 13, if we live by the Spirit, living according to a life lived in us that is not our own, but God living in us, dwelling in us, living not in ourselves, but through faith in God who raises the dead, he says, we shall live. Why? Because it is through the work of the Spirit in your heart The work of putting to death every attempt in you to try and make yourself righteous. Putting to death every desire you have to save yourself and living solely by what has been done for you. It is in that that you will live because God has promised that you will live because Jesus lives. He adds in verse 15, that we have not received a spirit of bondage or slavery, but one of sonship is is the word used. This word that we translate into adoption. That we do not receive a new law in Jesus that we have to follow to survive, but we were adopted into a new family and made heirs. The life of the Christian is not like that car warranty that you buy, that you have to make sure you do all the oil changes and all the specific maintenance or else the warranty gets null and void. That's not how the Christian life works. Jesus doesn't come to you and say, okay, now I've done this. Now you better fulfill all these little steps or you're in big trouble. That's not how Jesus works. Instead, we are heirs belonging to God, heirs with Christ. That is, you are, meaning, meaning you are in the will right now, already, there's nothing you can, you can do about it. You can't do any good works to try and get yourself in the will, and you actually can't do any bad works to get yourself out of the will. And I know some of you probably have some raised eyebrows from Hell is populated with forgiven sinners. The big difference is, is that it comes to the end and they say, no, I'm good. It's why there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because we come to the end and we go, wait, all I had to do is trust that someone else took care of this on my behalf? Why couldn't I have done that? Let me touch on one last thing. And this stood out to me um, this week as well. Uh, it says in verse 15 that as ones who have received the spirit of sonship, of adoption, that we cry out this phrase, Abba, Father. That's a term of endearment. It's a term of love. It's a term of adoration. It's a word meaning Papa or Daddy. All of us have fathers, but some of us did not have daddies. Do you know what I mean? You can have a father... Everyone has to have a father to bring you into this world. But some of us did not have daddies, right? 
did not have that one that loved us and was there for us. But let me ask you, church, do you adore God? Do you adore Jesus? Has the Father become daddy to you? Has he become more than just the great accountant in the sky or, or just a nice idea that you wear as a, an accessory every, every now and then because it's just what you're supposed to do on Sunday mornings? I hope so. That is the work of the Spirit in you to move you to that point. It's not, it's not as though I'm making a requirement over you here. I'm telling you, that's what the Spirit's going to do in you, where, where God is this, this loving Father and becomes this companion for you who actually runs to you rather than waiting for you to run to him. And I've been wondering a lot lately, especially since it's part of my job, what can we as the church do to help you in this? Because I want your life in God uh, to be more than just one hour on Sunday mornings or, or a couple of times a month or, or whatever the case may be. I want your life in this church to be life-giving and to draw you to your Abba, to your Daddy, to your, to your Father, to have it be something that nurtures your relationship in God and with one another. Not because you, you need it or else, but because that's how the Spirit grows in you, this faith and love, just like the plant food. Maybe you need to, to commit in yourself to come to some of our, our, our uh, weekly study offerings that we have, whether it's Team 784 this morning down uh, in the fellowship hall between services or, or uh, teenagers, youth group Sunday nights, 20 to 40-somethings, limbo on Monday nights, theology on tap starting in the fall on Wednesday nights, catechism class on Sunday mornings. Uh, we have the women's Bible study that meets once a month. We're, we're going to have another women's Bible, Bible study starting up again this fall that will meet a couple times a month. Or maybe it means if you already have a little group that you get together for food or, or fun or whatnot, maybe that needs to be that group that you get together and have a little Bible time, a little Jesus time, a little prayer time together, to grow in faith and love and have the Spirit continue to indwell you throughout the week so that it grows and gets nurtured in you. I yearn for that for you, to allow yourselves to be loved by Jesus, to become spirit walkers. I want the Word of God to so implant itself in you that everyone in town would know that you've been loved by unspeakable love in Jesus, that you belong to him. Maybe for some of you, it's time to let go of all your fleshiness, of all your too cool for schoolness, and be humbled by this one who, is humble, who was humbled for you on the cross and has loved you to the point of death. Thanks be to God. Amen.